for Christ-like people, for Christ, not, I, I'm using that word advisedly, for Christians, and I, by Christians, I don't mean people that identify with the name Christianity. I'm talking about the people that identify with the nature and the person of Christ. People that are putting themselves through the process of discipleship, that every day, their primary purpose and their primary pursuit is to be more like Christ. The world is looking for those kinds of people to step up and, show, and raise their hands and say, this is me. Amen? Yeah. Somehow I jumped right into the message, but that's all right. <laughs> but before I get to the rest of my message, I need to tell you something that happened to me. Um, we were in a, um, I think we were in, a, in an event. IBK seems to moderate all of the events. So, you know, IBK is at the heart of this story. And I think it was a baby uh, shower for one of our sisters that was having a baby. And so we were playing these games, and one of the games was to guess music from, from uh, you know, um, decades, uh, previous decades. And so he mentioned in that that um, apparently Brother Dario Shoko in his previous life was a DJ. So I was sitting there shaking my head. I'm about to share a deep personal secret with you today this morning. If I hear it outside of here, I'm sending the FBI after you, okay? But I used to be a DJ in my heydays. Yes. That was right before I got the call to the papacy. I used to be a DJ. I love music. Because I believe music is a very potent, powerful spiritual force. And, and, and so this past week, I was uh, going through stuff. Most of you, if you noticed, for those that care to, that noticed, basically, I wasn't in church. We had an emergency, a workplace emergency, that started the weekend before last uh, uh, Friday of, uh, not this past Friday, but the one before that. And some of you that know what I do, we, we manage uh, IT systems for a major defense contractor in the United States. Okay? This is a major defense contractor. And so we have a duty to ensure that their systems are up and functional anytime. And most of you notice I carry two phones. One is for when my boss at home calls me. <laughs> the other one is for when my bosses at work call me. If they call me in the middle of this message, I love you all, but I have to answer. <laughs> okay. And so we had a system, a critical business system that had been down. It was down. And we couldn't get it to work for nothing. I mean, everything, all of our best brains are DBAs, uh, network engineers, everybody was on this job 24-7 because they have gradations of uh, incidents. So if it's a simple incident, it's a severity four. And the f closer the number gets to one, the more severe the incident is. A severity one is an incident that requires a 24-7 monitoring. So somebody must be on staff, on call. 24-7 to make sure that that incident is resolved. And what we had was a severity one incident. And it was an operational event. I, I uh, run the operations team for my company that manages this contract. 
And so I couldn't afford to be missing in action. So I'm saying this to say that, so by middle of Wednesday, I had done 68 hours. I worked all through the weekend, all through the weekday. As a matter of fact, Pastor, I got a call from Revelation, I think it was on Wednesday, yes, to check on me and see if I was ready. I was this close to saying maybe Pastor should take this message. Just this close. But here's the crux of the story. So I, this issue was getting uh, visibility at the highest levels of the organization. The chief operations officer, the chief information officer, the chief technology officer, everybody was interested in this situation. And we weren't making a headway and we were not looking good. And so I'd become so con uh, consumed by this thing, we were not getting any closer to an answer. And at some point I began to feel, take this thing personally. I began to second guess myself. Some of the judgments and the decisions I made, are they the right one? And the more I traveled down this road, the uglier I began to feel about myself. So on Thursday, I woke up and I said, I have to get away from this situation because I've been absorbed in it. And so as I got into my car, I got into my car, I was just going to take a drive. I didn't know where I was driving to, but I was just driving. But as I got into my car, two songs came to my mind. One of them, I told you, God speaks to me in music. God, if God wants, for some of you, it's dreams and visions. For me, it's music. Right. right. Uh, some people can relate. So, so my, my experience as a DJ wasn't for nothing. The steps of the righteous man are ordered of the Lord. God spoke to me through two songs. The first song was a song by Clint Brown. I love to worship you. 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 Second song was probably one most of you uh, probably won't know. It's a song that's called I, I Knew I Loved You Before I Met You. Now, it's a, it's a song by a band called Savage Garden. Okay? If you don't know who Savage Garden is, you're in good company. Because I didn't know who Savage Garden was until I looked them up. But the point was this. I realized in that moment that God was trying to say something to me. God was trying to speak to me. And for most of us, we're used to uh, traditional ways where we expect God to, to, to speak to us. But in that moment, I realized God was calling me away because he wanted to get my undivided attention. And when I gave him my undivided attention, he began to speak. And so I realized at that moment, God was telling me that nothing that happens in this job, nothing that pertains to this job, nothing that pertains to my present situation changes his perception of me. See, my identity is not tied up in what I do. It's not tied up in how much I succeed or do not succeed. My identity is set in God, regardless of what happens. What happens to support that identity is just the fringe benefit. Amen? And through the specific selection of songs, God was affirming for me his love. I love you, son. I love you, son. He was calling me to a time of, a, of intimate communion. I don't want to be gross here, 
But most of you that are spouses, that have spices, uh, husbands and wife, you know what kind of time I was talking about. What God was calling me to such a time with him. So in my car, in that moment, just driving, I had the best worship uh, praise experience that I've ever had in all my life. And so I got home. I prayed in the car. I got home. This was uh, Thursday morning. By Thursday afternoon, mid-afternoon, the situation had been resolved. And it was something we had overlooked all the time. It was a simple... Ah. So let me tell you, my friends, I, 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 you will say, what does this have to do with what I'm here to talk about this morning? Three things. The first thing you need to understand is this. God wants to speak to you. I don't know who's going through a circumstance or a situation. It's an intractable problem. It's been there for a while. It's beginning to affect you deeply and personally. It's beginning to affect your perceptions of yourself. It's beginning to impact you, your sense of identity. God wants to speak to you. God is speaking to you this morning. God wants to affirm and reaffirm for you that he loves you. That it doesn't matter what you have gone through. That God loves you. Your identity is not tied up in that situation. Your identity is tied up in God. God wants to get your attention this morning to tell you, I love you. Amen. I love you, my child. Nothing will ever change that. He loved you before you knew him. He will love you after you've known him. His love for you will never change. So I want you to understand that. Whatever you're dealing with now, you need to step back. God is asking you to step away from that situation for a moment and take time to have some intercourse with God. Let him deposit something deep in your womb. Because that's the answer to the problem that you need. So step away. See, let me tell you that the devil doesn't want anything for you. If you crack the door open for him, he's going to yank it open with both hands. He's going to move in and he's going to do a number on you. Because that's what was getting ready to happen to me. But thank God for his grace and his mercy. That he caught me and pulled me back in this time. So that's the first thing I want to say. For the young ones that are in this room, listen to me. It is important what you listen to. It is important what you listen to. Because music is a powerful spiritual weapon. Most of the songs are songs. The Songs of Solomon is a collection of songs and poetry. Lucifer was a leader of praise and worship. There's a band in heaven playing 24-7. So music is a powerful spiritual weapon. It is powerful for good and it's powerful for evil. The things you let deposit in your spirit will begin to speak into your life much later on. I'm telling you this song, I knew and loved you before I met you. I don't think, I, the last time I heard it was maybe over a decade ago, maybe two decades ago. But suddenly, it popped into my spirit. So be very, very careful what you give your attention to. Because those things so seed in your spirit. And if you find, it's like malware. And, and again, I'm not, pastor has told me, so let me tell you, pastor had told me that we're going to be on this series for a little while, right? So he said, don't feel like you're in a rush to get through the message. And I'm going to be a obedient and compliant child. Okay. So I was saying to you, be careful. There's something called malware. Most of you know what malware is. Malware is deposited into your system. When you don't know it, it's, it's a subterfuge 
The malware is somebody sneaks it into your system, but when it gets into your system, it begins to destroy your system. It begins to compromise your system. It begins to steal from you, steal valid information from your system. Sometimes music is like that. Music is one of those powerful things. Enters through, there are two gates to your spirit, your eye gate and your mouth gate, right? Your mouth gate, your eye gate and your ear gate. What you see and what you hear, what the things that register in your spirit. Music is one that has the uh, power to bypass any filters that you have and deposit right in your spirit. So be very, very careful what you let, because at some point, all of those messages will begin to speak into your life. What happens with malware is this. Your system starts to do things that you didn't ask it to do. So if you find yourself thinking things that you know this isn't me, behaving in ways that what kind of malware is resident in your spirit and how did it enter your, 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 your operating system. So be very careful. Now the third thing that came from that thing was uh, I told you God speaks to me through music. So as I was beginning, as I was preparing for this message, I was asking the Lord, what do you want me to say? And how do you think God spoke to me? Absolutely. So when in my heydays, when I was young and cool, I used to love reggae. <laughs> yeah, man. My two favorite bands were a band called Steel Pauls. Who knows Steel Pauls? You need to go repent. <laughs> and the other uh, band was a band called Third World. Now, Third World had this song that was called, Now that we found love, what are we gonna do with it? Well, I'm about to take the laughter from your mouth. God said, ask my people, now that you've found grace, what are you going to do with it? But grace was given to make you feel good, yes. But grace was given for more than that. Because Paul wonders, Paul wonders in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 1. Paul said it is possible for us to receive the grace of God in vain. It is possible for us sitting in this church today to hear all the wonderful preaching about grace and what grace has given to us in Christ Jesus and all of the benefits and the uh, values that we get from grace and think that that's all grace is supposed to be. Something that's supposed to make you feel good. That is half true. That is half true. Because God expects you to do something with the grace that you have received. Something is ex God is expecting some commensurate action for to whom much is given, much is required. So God is required. Look, it is better for you that you didn't hear the grace message than that you heard it and you sit on it. Amen. Amen. This is another sign of advancing age. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you in obedience this morning to what God is dropping in my spirit. Now that you found grace, what are you going to do with it? So my objective this morning is to cover two things. 
is two things. I'm going to sensitize us to our role in the work of reconciliation. We have often heard in this house that God is a relational God and that relationship is the currency of the spirit. God is seeking an intimate relationship with his people and wants us to build healthy and interpersonal relationships. And as I, I, as I develop that portion of the message, I'm going to borrow heavy, very heavily from uh, Pastor Shino's message. I'm going to borrow from that and I'm going to extend some of his thoughts. The second objective is to enlighten and prepare us for the ministry and for a fresh impartation of the Holy Spirit for the work of reconciliation. God is so interested in reconciliation and relationship that he has not left it up to chance, but has proactively provided for the work of reconciliation by his Holy Spirit. Pastor Bang began to develop those thoughts, and I will take some of his thoughts, I will borrow from his thoughts and extend them. So like I told you, I may not get to all of them today, I feel no compulsion to, but as far as, far as I go, Praise be to God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Most of us here do not like selfishness or selfish people. There's something about us that kicks against selfishness. We recognize that there's something intrinsically not right about selfishness. And we try to stay away from selfish people. Because selfish people and selfishness are the manifestations on the focus on self where self becomes the center of our decisions, the center of our determination, the center of everything. To, we say, what is in it for me? Is the question we typically ask. And most of us recognize that that is a problem. In fact, um, we, there's, a, uh, there's, a, uh, there's a TV show. I know I've seen it before. I don't know what circumstances. I think maybe it was my sister or something that I was watching it, and I was watching it with her. It's called Hoarders. How many of you? <laughs> How many of you? Have seen? That's a depressing show. It is a depressing show because it's a show about people that get stuff and accumulate stuff. They get all they can, they can all they get, and they sit on the can. And very soon the cans begin to multiply. And we know that it's a psychological problem. There's something about people that get and do not give. That people that do not re that receive and do not hand out. And it is easy for us to recognize hoarders in the world. But I promise you there are hoarders in the church. There are people that are hoarding the grace of God. They've gotten the grace of God. They've canned the grace of God and they're sitting on the can. And that is hoarding. Something about that is, an int is intrinsically wrong. We recognize that. The, the normal human tendency is that when you get a good thing, you want to share it. When something good happens to you, you want to share it. When you receive something that's a blessing to you, you want to share it with somebody. Either so that they can partake of that thing or so that they can rejoice with you. Why do you want to share it? Because that thing that you have received has given you a sense of joy. It has brought some richness. It's brought some enhancement in your life. And it's giving you a sense of, uh, it makes you feel good. And you share the story with somebody so that they can celebrate and feel good as you do. That is hum normal human nature. The story, Bible tells us of the story of the, of the woman at the well. You can find it in John 4. This woman encounters Jesus at the well. And I'm not going to go through the entire thing. But something happens to her. She's changed and transformed by the impact that Jesus has upon her life. 
And the woman left the water that the Bible doesn't record. That. They said she left what she was doing and she went back to her Samaritan people and to say, come see. Something good had impacted her life and her immediate response was to go and bring her brethren so that they could share that experience with her. And this was a Samaritan. You know how the Jews treated the Samaritans? They were worse than outcasts. This was a Samaritan. There's another story. I wonder sometimes, because the Bible says, hey, he that, that, that was forgiven much, forgives much. The Bible tells us a, a story of the lepers in the, uh, I think it's First Chronicles. I can't remember the exact chapter. But these were Chronicles when the uh, Assyrians were invading Israel and God sent an ambushment against the Assyrians overnight, overnight the Bible says this because you heard about the, the price of things had gone up so much the price of uh, chicken uh, of pigeon poop that's essentially what it was pigeon dung it was commanding such a high price you wonder how desperate could people have been that they want to pay money to get chicken poop but that's how desperate things were. But in the middle of the night, God sent an ambushment against the camp of the Assyrians. Guess who was first to find it? The lepers. Guess what they did? They said to themselves, it is not right that we have such a great thing and we keep it to ourselves. Let us go back to the city. By the way, this was the city of the people that put them outside of the gates of the, of the city. Because you recognize that lepers were ostracized from the community of people. If you were a leper, there was a scourge on you. You had a scarlet letter on your back. Lepers would walk around ringing a bell and announcing of themselves, I am unclean, I am unclean, I am clean. Because if a leper touched you, you became unclean. So these were people, who knows how old they, had, they were? Who knows how long they had experienced uh, leprosy all their life? But I imagine what leprosy had done to their psyche. It had changed who they were. It had changed their perception of who they were. But this same people in a moment where there was good news to celebrate where there were good things to rejoice about they didn't they weren't particularly concerned about themselves they went back to the city of the people that had put them outside of the city to tell them come see what the lord has done so i wonder perhaps could our reticence and our complacency in the church about the things that pertain to the commandments of God, about the lost that are dying in the world, when we walk by them and we're indifferent to them, when we see people that are struggling in our neighborhoods and we recognize that Jesus has already paid the price for these people, that this person is dealing with a challenge for which God has already provided an answer. You see people that you walk with every day and you walk by them, people that you go to school with every day and you walk by them, people that live in your family, your own blood, you know that these people, if they die today, they are cut off from, from, from an eternity with Christ. You see them and it doesn't touch you. There's something inherently wrong with that. And God is going to demand of us action for the grace that he has given unto us. Because God does not like hoarders and neither do I. And if you have received something good, you have an obligation to share it. Whose life is being impacted by the grace that you have received? 
whose life is being touched on a daily basis. Because again, remember, we're trying to be like Christ. We're trying to be like Jesus. Every day, the Bible says Jesus had one mission, to seek and to save the lost. Yeah, you may be in your workplace. You may be in your place of employment. You may be doing this. You may be doing that. But that is just a platform. Okay? Do not confuse your occupation with your vocation. Your occupation is where God has you doing mystery, doing, doing vocation, which is ministry. Amen? Amen. I, I've heard some people tell me that they, I'm not, they say I'm not a people person. Uh, you know, I don't like people. I don't like work with people. I just want people away from me. I'm sorry, if that's you, you're not a God person. God, God is about the business of people. God's business is people's business. If you're not doing people's business, you're not doing God's business. I don't know what you're doing. And so God is calling us to re-engage with people. He's calling us to re-engage with those people in our communities that we see and we walk by every day. God is calling us to be sensitized to the needs that are around us, to open our eyes to the people that are perishing around us. Because it would be terrible if you make heaven and your blood brother did not make it. It would be terrible if you're enjoying the benefits of grace and your neighbor that you shared communion and fellowship with on this side of eternity doesn't. It would be terrible when the price has already been paid for them. It was just for somebody to say, here, take, the price has been paid for you. So that's my challenge for us this morning. I, I told us uh, in 2 Corinthians, I told us about 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The Bible says, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. But to understand the context of that scripture, can we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 from verses 14 through 21? So when Paul was talking about receiving the grace of God in vain, what was he really talking about? What was the context? Can I get in the, yeah, okay, New King James Version. It says, for the love of Christ compels us because we judged us that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no, live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Keep going. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. And this is uh, something that you all recognize, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Go ahead. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us what? What does us mean? Who is excluded from us? So who has been given the ministry of reconciliation? Say, me. What are you doing with your ministry? Verse 19. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Go ahead. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Verse 21. So that's the context that leads into 
2 Corinthians 6.1. God is telling us that each one of us have been called to a ministry of reconciliation. God has called us. You, I, I know we laugh about it, uh, minister, pope, and all of that. But the Bible says you have been given a ministry. You're all ministers. If you're waiting for us to pastor, do we have any oil? Can we pour oil on their heads now? Okay. You all, are, we anoint you now in the name of Jesus Christ. You're all ministers. You're all ministers. Go forth and do the work. Do the work of reconciliation, because that's what. Look. We talked about relationships, right? We said God is a relational God. And God is interested in interpersonal relationships between us and between him. But I want to tell you now, the most important relationship to God, the most important relationship to God is the relationship he has with us. Every other thing flows from that relationship with God. And so God is putting us to work, mending relationships with him. Because once that relationship is right, this relationship will work better. But if that relationship is never right, this may work well for a little time, but it will break down at some point. God is calling us as ministers of reconciliation to take this word of reconciliation back to the world that needs to hear it. Ten minutes. I want to let you know that it breaks God's heart to see that neighbor who is struggling with issues and challenges for which he has already made provision. It hurts him deeply to see that co-worker headed for a Christless eternity when the penalty has been paid. It grieves him to see that young man, a young woman, wandering through life, through life without a sense of purpose or destiny. It guts him when he sees the glory that is his and his alone being ascribed to idols and images, all of the works of man's hands. It guts God's sense, and we are there all the time watching it happen and not just watching this happen we are consenting to it we are consenting to it by our passive indifference by our benign disinterest and our malignant disobedience to God our passive indifference I've always said that the opposite of love is not hate that the opposite of love is indifference because when my wife and I have our intense fellowships and we, we take a moment away from communicating with one another for a brief season so that we can see God. <laughs> Somebody said they don't know about that. Hmm? When that happens, I don't ignore my wife. It's not, it's not, it's not I don't hate her. I don't show her actively that I hate her, but I'm indifferent to her. She can do whatever she wants to do, I don't care, basically. That's what passive indifference is. Benign, benign disinterest, passive indifference, and malignant disobedience. I, I, both of you that understand, I use those words intentionally, because they're benign tumors. Benign tumors will inconvenience you. They make you uncomfortable. But a malignant tumor will kill you if you don't do something about it. There's something about the malignancy of the church's disobedience to the call of God to go into the mission and make disciples of all men. It shouldn't bother you now that your children are being taught from kindergarten about how Heather has two moms. It shouldn't surprise you now that there, uh, there's an agenda now 
to uh, make sure that your male children and your female children use the same bathroom. It shouldn't, it shouldn't surprise you now that your funds are being used to fund, that the taxes are being used to fund things that you know your faith opposes. It shouldn't surprise you. But it also shouldn't surprise you because I will ask you the question, what have you done about it? Because you can yell and complain all you want. It is lawmakers that need Jesus Christ that are passing these laws. It is governors and, 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 and leaders and lawgivers and lawmakers that need Christ that are making these laws. If you give them a different basis from which to view the world, if you give them the righteousness that is in Christ Jesus, if you introduce them to the God of their salvation, their paradigm will change. I don't care how many pickets we carry. It will not change anything. Only the Spirit of God has the power to change the hearts of men. And once you introduce people to that God, His Spirit takes over. And that's what God has called you to do that. If you're not doing that, keep quiet. You have no right to complain. I told you before that the answer to the corruption in the world and all the uh, darkness in the world is simply for the light to be turned on. You don't need a little, a little light shining will dispel a lot of darkness. A little salt in your food flavors the whole thing. God is not asking you to do a whole lot. God is just asking you to shine your light. The Bible says you are the light of the world. He says you are the salt of the earth. If salt is not used for salting and flavoring the environment, what is it good for? If light is not giving and illuminating the way for people, why do we need light? It's like turning your light on and putting it under the bush. Church, we need to arise to the calling of God. We need to arise to the call of God. We need to take this gospel outside of the church and we need to take it to the street. We need to take it outside of the comfort of this environment and take it to the discomfort. Because I'm telling you, the Bible tells us in the book of Acts, it says you will receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria to the, and to the uttermost ends of the earth. The power of the Holy Spirit is not given to us to sit and be comfortable in church. If you want to see the manifestation of the power of God, if you want to feel goosebumps, real goosebumps that come from the Holy Spirit, if you want to see blind eyes open, if you want the uh, Spirit of God to show up and to show out, take this gospel to the street. Commit yourself to becoming a witness because the power of the Holy Spirit is given for the ability to witness. If you're not witnessing, you're wasting the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. And so I'm going to challenge you this morning. If you want the, a dynamic move for the Holy Spirit in your life this day, I challenge you to dare to be a witness. Get, above your, get outside of your comfort zone. Step out in obedience. Peter would never have walked on water if like the rest of the disciples, he was content to sit in that boat. But I don't know any other disciples of Jesus that he said walked on water except Peter. So Peter had a dynamic experience because he was willing to go where nobody else went. To do what nobody else was willing to do. When everybody else was comfortable to sit in the boat, Peter was... was persistent about at your word I will come he said to Jesus Jesus has given you your, your word you his word this morning how are you going to respond to it pastor and can I say one thing about grace automation you don't mind because I heard the uh, the message about grace automation 
But I want to refer you to Ephesians 2, in chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Peter, uh, Paul says this. He says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. With Christ. By grace you have been saved. In verses 8 and 9, it says, of the same chapter, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no man may boast. But then the same Paul turns around in uh, First uh, Corinthians 15, 9 through 10, he says this. <laughs> he says this. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, and I am unworthy to be called an apostle. And if you read the preceding thing, Paul is giving his biography how he came to Christ. And when he says he was the least of the apostles, he talks about what he did before he came to know Christ. So that's why he says, I was the least of the apostles. He said, but I was the least of the apostles because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not in vain. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So here's Paul, the apostle of grace, talking about all of the work that he did to take the ministry of reconciliation to people. Amen? It is the grace of God that leads people to salvation, but it's the preaching of man that introduces them to that saving grace. The Bible tells us, how can they hear? It says that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But it says, how can they hear? unless a preacher is sent to them. So you and I have an active duty, an active responsibility to step up and step out in faith and take this grace message that we have received, to take the grace of God to the streets. Because unless you do that, there is no other mechanism that God has provided for them to hear. The Bible says that it has pleased God by the foolishness of preaching for salvation to come to men. So men must preach in order for men to be saved. You must preach in order for your neighbor to be saved. You must say something, open your mouth, live a life, by, and, and you preach two ways, you know that, right? You preach by what you say and you read by how you live. Usually how you live will affirm your message that you speak with your mouth. Because people can't hear the gospel sometimes for, uh, for watching preachers that preach the gospel. Amen? So men are required to preach the gospel. The Bible tells us in Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So I want to close. And the truth of it, grace is not a sales transaction. I know people like IBK are salesmen. <laughs> Because of the nature of his work. He has to initiate the deal. He has to negotiate the deal. He has to execute the deal. And he has to close the deal. That's not the way it works in the spirit. It's not a sales transaction. Maybe God has just called you to shine a light. And that light gives a little illumination to that person. Then the next person comes into the stream and speaks a word that in fact adds to the light that has been spoken. And then the third person comes and plays the... God is just asking you to play your part. Shine your light where you are. That's all he's asking you to do. He's not asking you to execute a sales transaction. He's just saying, be the light. Turn on your light. You people recognize that there's something wrong about driving in darkness with your light turned off. I think we're driving in the darkness with our lights turned off. Church, turn on your light. Turn on your light. The world needs to see your light. 
There are people out there that are perishing. They are dying. And they are waiting for you. The Bible tells us that the earnest expectation of the creation is for the manifestations of the Son of God. The world is expecting for the chance of God to become manifest. Manifest in their families. Manifest in their communities. Manifest on their jobs. Stand up and be counted. Stand up and make your life count for something. It's time out for church as usual. That's the most important thing to God. The most important relationship to God is his relationship with the people. And the most important job he has given you is that job of making that relationship right. Let me read to you the meaning of the word reconcile. And I'll be done. That word reconcile is the Greek word atalosis. Let me find it. The Greek word katalosis. It's spelled katalosis, but it's pronounced atalosis. Atalosis means, um, okay, atalosis, it means to change, to exchange, or reestablish relationship, to make things right, to remove an enmity. Five times it is used to describe God's reconciling work through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. But in all cases, whether speaking of God and man, or husband and wife, it describes the reestablishing of a proper, loving, interpersonal relationship which has been broken or disrupted. That's what God has called you to do. God has engaged you in the ministry of catalysis. So as I close this morning, and there's so much I haven't touched on, but for the sake of time, um, the rest of the story you will hear on uh, Wednesday. So what are you going to do when you live here today? How are you going to respond when you see that family member, that co-worker, that person in your sphere of influence that you know is not where God wants them to be? Are you going to take action under the guidance of the Holy Spirit? Are you going to continue in our passive? Are we going to continue in our passive indifference, our benign disinterest, and our malignant disobedience? The decision you make today has the power and the potential to change the life and destiny of somebody the decision you make today. And so let us pray. Let us, in closing, let us pray. Let us pray that God will begin to burden our hearts with the things that burden his heart. And I don't know where you are. I don't know where you are in the scheme of things. But I do know what God wants you to do. So let's stand to our feet. And let's begin to ask the Holy Spirit to inspect us. To inspect us. Do some work of inspection in us. Let's ask the Holy Spirit, God, am I indifferent to the suffering around me? Am I indifferent to the death and decay that is around me? God, begin to sensitize my spirit again. Begin to quicken my heart again, oh God. That the things that break your heart will begin to break my heart. That the things that burden you will begin to burden me, oh God. That my eyes will see like your eyes see. That my heart will feel like your heart feels. That your passion will be my passion. I want you to ask God in sincerity. I don't want you to lead, in, lead you in that prayer because if I do, you're praying my prayer. But I want you to pray your own prayer. If you feel that this is uh, in fact what God has called you to, then you need to step up and own it. Because until you get this right, you're going to be pouring water in a basket.
Father, hear the prayers of your people this morning who cry out to you earnestly. Father, hear and answer. In Jesus' name I pray. Hallelujah.